Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Day of Reconciliation here in South Africa's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. Nice to have you with us this evening. And, of course, it is Friday. Hey, hey, it's Friday. I'm sure everybody's happy about the weekend coming up. And there's a lot to talk about this evening, as there always is. We'll talk about the most important things to last. Let's start off with the rugby that we can expect over the weekend. And tonight, in fact, the first matches get underway in about an hour and a half's time or so. Half past seven South African time at the Ellis Park Stadium in Johannesburg, the EPCR Challenge Cup. And it sees the Lions in action against Stade Francais in Breve against Connaught at 10 o'clock and Glasgow Warriors against the USA Papillon at 10 o'clock this evening. It'll be a great game, the match between the two sides. uh, And uh, good news for South African rugby is the Emirates Lions have returned their bone collector to the starting lineup for the European Challenge Cup tonight. And that is Willem Elberts. He makes a welcome return and will face the team he played for for over five years before coming back to South Africa. He'll partner... Peter Janssen van Rensburg as the Lions rotates for the clash, while Henko van Veek returns from suspension, and Quan Horn slots onto the left wing in place of Rabs Makquena. The Emirate Lions will face the French visitors this evening. Former SA Under-20 and Sharks lock, JJ van der Mesh will line up for Start Francais. As the teams do battle for the first time, the Lions drew the opening game against the Dragons, 31 all, while Stade France won their opener against the Italian side Benetton, 21-14. Let's look at the two sides for tonight's clash. Andres Kutsia, Edwell van der Mava, Henko van Weyck, Marius Lowe, Juan Horn, Jordan Hendrikse, Sanele Nohamba, Emmanuel Tsituka, Ruan Fente, Jaco Creole, the captain, Peter Janssen for Rensburg, Willem Elberts, Asenati and Tlabakane, Jaco Fasahi and Jay. Smith. That is your run on the 15 for the Lions. I'll try and get through the French names for you as best I can. Leo Mornin, Nadia Megdu, Paolo Odogu, Theo Dachare, Ari Glover, Leo Barr, James Hall, Juan Martin Skelso, Matteo Irgoyen, Giorgio Tsutskritsa, JJ van der Mesh, there's an easy one, Nathan Hugen, Giorgio Melitska, Lauren Pani and Vasil Kakovin. That is your side. The referee from England, Carl Dixon, with three referee assistants and TMO, all from England as well. Now, earlier in the week, the Toyota Cheetah's flank, Opamahoji, was suspended for three weeks. He was cited for a dangerous tackle in his team's win over Section Parois last weekend in the European Challenge Cup. He was cited by the citing commissioner for a dangerous tackle uh, in the 26th minute of the match, contravening Law 9.13, which states a player must not tackle an opponent dangerously under World Rugby sanctions for foul play, Law, law 9.13 relating to dangerous tackling carries the sanction two weeks, three weeks, or six weeks, or even up to 10 to 52 weeks. The Independent Disciplinary Committee, which comprised of Marcelo Doré of Portugal, Matthew O'Grady of England, and Tony Wheat of Ireland, considered video imagery of the incident and heard submissions from Ahoje, who accepted that he had committed an act of foul play that warranted a red card from the player's legal representative, Marius Porter, from the Toyota Cheetahs team manager, Ashwell Rafferty, 
and from the disciplinary officer, Leon McTero. Liam McTero, so there you are. Now, the Cheetahs are in action themselves in the uh, championship. That, of course, is uh, on Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. They are in action of the uh, Cheetahs. In fact, they're in action against the Clinethley Scarlets, and that's tomorrow. So the other games tomorrow, the Chiefs against the Bulls. Three o'clock, that's the Exeter Chiefs. Edinburgh play Castre Olympic, and then it's the 5.15 kickoffs. Leon against Saracens, Tiger Leicester Tigers against Clermont, the Stormers against London Irish, Ulster against La Rochelle, Montpellier play Ospreys, and then in the EPCR Challenge Cup, Toulon play Bath at three tomorrow afternoon. The Cheetahs play the Clinetley Scarlets at quarter past five. The Aviron Bayonet play the Benetton team from Italy at half past seven. At the same time, Newcastle Falcons play Cardiff and the Dragons. They play section Balois. On Sunday, Stade Toulouson take on the Sale Sharks. Northampton Saints play Munster. Harlequins play Racing 92. And the Bristol Bears, they play Zebra. There is your rugby fixtures for the weekend and a lot of great action expected on the rugby front. Uh, now, let's just look at the Sharks game. Well, a couple of years back, you wouldn't have expected a South African franchise to be playing a key game late on the night of the 16th of December, the public holiday. But that's the reality. Heineken Champions Cup goes into the second round and it is traditionally the start of the summer holiday season here in South Africa. It won't be a holiday season for the local professional rugby players. Now, the Vodacom Bulls take a second string side to their away game against Exeter Chiefs. The Stormers have more pressure on them than the Sharks to do the importance of winning at home in the competition. It was a lopsided importance of home games that probably helped Jake White's decision to go under strength to Exeter. Uh, and it'll be a great weekend, as I say, of rugby. Look forward to all of that. And we will give you all the news with regards to the matches when we review our sporting weekend on Monday. Now, what else has been happening through the course of the week and going forward into the weekend? Well, our cricketing news that was pretty interesting indeed was two stories. One, Pakistan's top order batsman Azhar Ali is to quit international cricket after the third and final test against England, which is currently underway in Karachi. Starts tomorrow. The former captain's tally of 7,097 runs from 96 tests puts him in fifth place in the list of Pakistan's leading test scorers. He's now 37 years of age, and he's played 53 one-day internationals. Quit that format, doesn't play T20 cricket, and he is going to give up his uh, role in the Pakistani team. And injuries have grown larger. Imam Hulak is out of the third and final test against England. The 26-year-old aggravated a hamstring injury, making Pakistan's task of avoiding a first home 3-0 test whitewash all the tougher. Veteran batsman Azhar Ali will replace Huck, having announced this will be his last test. Perspective of left-hander Huck batted at number five in the second test in Multan. He scored 60 as Pakistan lost that test match by 26 runs. And then the other big news was Kane Williamson, quite surprisingly, I must be honest with you, gave up the captaincy of the uh, national team. That's the test team. He will continue on in white ball cricket as captain. He will also play test match cricket, but uh, he has 
given up that job of being the captain of the test team. And it's very interesting indeed that he has made that decision. Tim Salvi will be captain going forward. Now, the other big uh, cricket test match that starts tomorrow, along with the uh, Pakistan-England one, is one that my eyes, and I'm sure many South Africans' eyes will be on. It's the first time that the two sides, South Africa and Australia, will clash since the Sandpaper Gate scandal at Newlands in Cape Town. And David Warner has really shied away from a fight. But the long-serving opener faces one of the bigger ones of his career when he looks to score runs against the Proteas to stave off an unplanned exit from Test cricket. He's 36 years old now, and he remains nominally in Australia's plans for the Tour of India. But he is under pressure to perform in the three-match series the Gabba tomorrow. He has struggled against a modest win. Indian attack, and you can be sure bet your bottom dollar that the South African pace bowlers will be after David Warner's wicket as much as they will be after Steve Smith's wicket. Those two are going to be the two key men that they will be after, the two men who were involved, along with Cameron Bancroft, in that disgusting display of cheating. That's all I can say. It's typical cheating. Right, straightforward. There it is. I said it. They're using sandpaper to scuff the side of the ball. Anyway, unfortunately for South Africans, he was only banned for a year or two, as was Steve Smith. Steve Smith actually captained Australia in the last test matches they played against the West Indies. Doubt that he'll captain. I think Pat Cummings will be fit and ready for tomorrow's match. Now, David Warder is the kind of guy that can get under your skin. He has under a couple of South Africans. And I know we talk about him with disdain, but you know what? We only talk about great players with disdain. And he is very good player, just a pity about the way he performs off the field. And to be honest with you, sometimes on the field as well. Now, um, he has to compartmentalize the off-field distractions to the odd-field distractions, according to the Australian head coach, Andrew McCoy. Donald, there is no better demonstration of that in the 2019 World Cup, just a few months after returning from his year-long ban for ball tampering, ignoring hostile crowds waving sandpaper at him. Warner scored 647 runs at an average of 71.88 to guide Australia to the semi-finals. And two years later, he banished a wretched run of form with another stand-up performance as Australia stormed to their first T20 World Cup win in the United Arab Emirates. And since returning from suspension under the least served under a permanent leadership ban. He has been judged as the key architect behind the sandpaper gate. He will, as we all know, take some cop from the few South Africans that will be there. Now, South Africa, on the other hand, under the captaincy of Dean Elgibbs and his team are salivating at the prospect of facing Australia and conceded that there could be feisty moments in the first test series since the Sandpaper Gates scandal. They pad up tomorrow in Brisbane for the first time since that 2018 cheating row. It kicks off the first of a three test series with the hosts boasting an enviable record at the Gabba, losing just once there since 1988. And that was against India a year ago. But South Africa really played at the ground and it holds few fears for Elvis men. The only thing is the shadows of Sandpaper Gate inevitably hanging over the test with the two main culprits, Steve Smith and David Warner, still playing for Australia. Elgis said his team hadn't spoken about the incident and insisted there were no grudges. Dean Elgin, don't talk rubbish. How can the team not have discussed it? I'm sure there's been conversation about it. I mean, why wouldn't there be? Anyway, the tourists are one of the most 
hostile pace attacks in world cricket. Kachisa Rabada, Heinrich Nokia, the two strengths in the side. He suggested he could make Australia field first if he won the toss. Why? Why would you do that? Go on, get in there, bowl them out for 150. That's what you've got to do. Do not give the Australians a chance. I know there were a couple of good scores in the warm-up game against the Australian 11, but really, Dean Elgar, catch a wake-up, my friend. Catch a wake-up. Get in there, use your strength, which is our bowling attack, and put the Australians on the back foot from the word go. That's what you've got to do. Honestly, that's what you've got to do. So that all happens tomorrow, tomorrow morning. And I'm sure there will be one or two interesting selections amongst the proteas tomorrow. Will they still continue with Temba Bufuma? Oh, boy, my feelings on this one. What do you think? I think that he's out of form. Well, I don't think he's out of form. He is out of form, completely out of form. And on top of being out of form, he's also injury prone at the moment. Every single time he gets on a field, he's injured, gets injured, or is injured, or reoccurs an injury. Now, would you want to take the gamble in a test match against Australia, the first one of playing somebody who's number one out of form and also might not last five days of test cricket? Anyway, we've seen the South African selectors make worse decisions in their life but they're prone to making some disturbing decisions on the South African cricket selectors by virtue of course of the fact that there's pressure on them to make sure I will say it the best way I possibly can that the balance of the team is right why can't the balance of the team be X number of batsmen and X number of bowlers and a couple of good fielders why does the balance of our cricket team always have to be dependent on the colour of the players skin? oh well that's another topic for a discussion at another time anyway there's other cricket that's uh, going to be going on over the next couple of days Pakistan and England as I mentioned, Bangladesh and India will continue on. And then Cricket South Africa's four-day series, as well as the one-day series, they will continue on as well. Let's uh, just have a look and see. The next round of the four-day matches are only in February, but the one-day games are coming thick and fast at the moment. Right, just one bit of news in the world of golf, and that is that the Saudi Battle of Golf League will be staging an extra three tournaments in 2023. They'll be going to Tulsa in Oklahoma, Tucson in Arizona, and the Greenbrier course in West Virginia. Their chief executive officer, Greg Norman, made the announcements, the Upstart Series. It split the elite world of golf by luring golfers away from the US PGA Tour and what was the European tour now called the DP World Tour, completing its inaugural season 54 whole events in October. Now, they will stop next year at the Gallery Golf Club at Tucson, Arizona in March, the Cedar Ridge Country Club in Tulsa from the 12th to the 14th of May, and the Greenbrier, the former US PGA venue, on the 4th of August. Live Golf's expansion to new US markets adds to the growing excitement for the league that was launched last year. Yeah, the championship courses will contribute to the transformative season ahead for players, fans, and the game of golf. I think 2023 is going to be a very interesting year because there's all the lawsuits and the claims in court all going on. So who has uh, swapped over? Well, I can tell you that South Africa's Louis Oosthuizen and Charles Swartzel, amongst a few other South Africans, are there. Reigning British Open champion Cameron Smith, two-time winner Dustin Johnson, six-time major winner Phil Mickelson, four-time major winner Brooks Kupka, as well as Bryson DeChambeau, Sergio Garcia, Patrick Reed, Hendrik Stenson, Graham McDowell, Martin Keimer. They're all there. Now, the uh, 14-tournament schedule for next year which is played 
basically like this. You have your individual and you have your team event. How about this? 14 tournaments, $405 million. That's right, $405 million. $405 million divided by 14 events and $28.9 million in prize money per event. That is ludicrous. That is just unbelievable. Oh, my goodness gracious me. That's a lot of money. Now, currently on, at the moment, I can tell you one tournament, only one, and that is in the beautiful island of Mauritius. The Sunshine Tours MRI Open and Mauritius Open is currently underway, and I can give you some updated scores in uh, that uh, event in Mauritius, currently on at the moment. And uh, after the second round, completed today, Sammy Vomaki is at 10 under par. He shot a round of 72 today, but he shot a round of 62 yesterday. Incredible rounds of golf. 62 yesterday, 72 today for 134. Alfredo Garcia Haradia is also at 10 under par. He shot 68 and 66 for a total of 134. And Oliver Becker is there at 9 under par, just one shot behind Vilmaki and Garcia Haradia. On 135 strokes. That's after the completion of the second round today. That's the Mauritius Open. Beautiful, beautiful island, the Mauritian island. Lots to do there. I'm sure the golfers will be glad they got off the course early, a couple of hours uh, ahead of us in Mauritius. And uh, I'm sure are enjoying some snorkeling or whatever it is. The hotel where they are staying, which is always uh, wonderful. Wonderful hotels in Mauritius. Okay, we're almost at the end of our evening's preview of the weekend, and I've left the best for last. We've been covering it in many ways over the last month. It is the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. Let me tell you some of the news stories that have happened during the week. Fernando Santos has quit as coach of Portugal following their shock World Cup quarterfinal loss to Morocco. And the bookmakers are saying the favourite to take over the Portuguese role is controversial but colourful. The special one, Jose Mourinho, is named as the candidate to take over, leading candidate to take over. An agreement was reached with a 68-year-old Santos to end the journey of great success that began in September 2014. Now, they say, does the Daily Sports newspaper, that Mourinho is the number one target to take over ahead of the qualifying for 2024. So, is that or is it a good move? Who knows? Now, asked about the national team job by journalists as he arrived in the Portuguese training camp with his team Roma. What did Mourinho have to say? No comment. Yep, and that just generally means no comment that, yes, he's taken the job. So, he's managed Porto. Twice he's been at Chelsea, Inter Milan, Real Madrid, and a not-so-successful spell at Manchester United. Now, Morocco, well done to them, made it to the semi-finals. They may not have reached the World Cup final, but their players and supporters can take pride in the fact that they leave Qatar having played seven games, the first an African nation has ever played. Morocco's dream run ended. They were beaten by reigning champions France in the semis, but they do have an opportunity to leave Qatar on a high when they play tomorrow evening for that 
third place playoff. It's like kissing your sister. I keep saying it like that, but it's, oh, please. Anyway, they will have to get themselves back up. And how do you get, how do you get motivated to play in a game like this? I don't. But they're up against Croatia. Nobody ever remembers who came third and fourth at the World Cup. But that's the game that they will be playing tomorrow evening at five o'clock after they were knocked. What about the final? Well, it's Kylian Mbappe, who I'm sure is going to be taking over the role as the leading striker in the world. After Lionel Messi comes to the end of a glittering career that could be glittering with gold on Sunday evening, if he has the World Cup trophy, the one and only trophy that he hasn't been able to win. Now, if fairy tales are made of this, then the little genius has saved the most magical script for his last game at a World Cup. There is immense pressure on him to match the great, great Diego Maradona and take the trophy back to Buenos Aires. Messi has lit up the tournament in Qatar, while Neymar, Ronaldo have underwhelmed and gone home from Argentina's opening game until their semi-final win over Croatia. Messi, who is coming to the end of his career at his fifth World Cup, age 35, has been the standout star of the tournament. His match statistics speak for themselves. Six starts, five goals, three assists en route to the final against the French. Smashing so many records is hard to keep track. Messi has beaten Maradona's tally of World Cup goals, as well as appearances for Argentina, and on Sunday, we'll jump ahead of Luther Mateus' joint record 25-match appearance at the tournament. Beyond the dazzling data, however, it's been Messi's mesmerizing mesmerizing motion and his amazing celebrations that have electrified football fans around the world. After a shock opening upset by Saudi Arabia, It was Messi who rallied the team and they've won five times following that. His best goal was a beautiful strike from outside the box against Mexico. And pundits are still shaking their heads over his pinpoint pass to Nahul Molina for Argentina's first goal against the Dutch. that made it remarkable and a candidate for one of the all-time great assists that Messi didn't even look up and yet found Molina with absolute perfection. So, are Argentina the outright favourites? I don't think they are. I think France will go into the game as the favourites. They are, of course, the defending champions. They're back in the final. And they, I think, are going to be very, very difficult indeed to be beaten. They will, of course, be led by Didier Deschamps, a born winner as a player and as an inspirational leader and coach. As Le Bleu approached the Sunday final against Argentina, it seems remarkable now that there were doubts about the French side coming into the World Cup. They were disappointing at Euro 22 and Deschamps was already dealing with an injury crisis before the Ballon d'Or winner Karim Benzema withdrew from the squad on the eve of the tournament. Yet circumstances have brought the best out of the French coach who ripped up his tactical plans and a masterstroke in turning forward Anthony Griezmann into a midfielder. 
Every game, every action is like saying thanks. I want to do everything to make him proud of his number seven, said Griezmann. Uh, Griezmann's comments revealed something else about Deschamps, that his man management skills are even more important than his tactical skills. The French have not really looked back since uh, those formative triumphs over a generation. They've become international football's preeminent power, and Deschamps has been the driving force behind that, although following the end of his playing career, there was a successful period in club management. He took Monaco to the 2004 Champions League final, age 35, led Marseille to the league title before replacing Laurent Blanc in 2012 as France's coach. Now, two things, three things about Sunday night's game. So there's the one is that once again, that record will be intact, that a team have never won the World Cup with a foreign coach. Number two, if Argentina go on to win it, they'll become only the second team since Spain in 2010 to complete victory in the finals and lift the trophy after being beaten in their opening game. And number three, if France do in fact uh, defend the title, it'll be the first time in 60 years that a team has defended the title. And that's way, way back when Brazil did it 60 years ago. So the World Cup has had its splendor. It's had its great moments and it will be culminating in a final, I hope, with a nice closing ceremony and a game that we remember as a fantastic free-flowing game full of goals rather than what I'm expecting, a dour goalless draw and a penalty shootout at the end. And you can be guaranteed, either way, somebody's going to be crying. Somebody's going to be crying. Tell you won't be, and that's the Polish referee, Simon Marciniak, because he is the man in charge of Sunday's World Cup final between the French and the Argentinians. The 41-year-old has already officiated matches involving both teams in the tournament, Argentina's last 16 win over Australia, and France's group stage against Mexico. He will be joined by his compatriots, Pavel Sokolinki and Thomas List. Kivic, the three have already overseen matches at the Under-18 World Championships as well as the Euros in 2016, and they will be in charge of the match on Sunday. We will bring you a review of the World Cup. We will also bring you all the other sporting action that has taken place over the next 36 to 48 hours over the weekend and bring it all to you again on Monday evening when we're back with another version of it's now turning out to be a reasonably popular podcast from the boardroom to the locker room. Thanks to Nick for his usual excellent production, as well as getting all the guests for the show and from myself. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. Look forward to speaking to you next week when we talk another version of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room, six o'clock on Monday evening. And as always, be kind to each other. Bye-bye for now.